When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to the A to Z Sports Preds Nashcast, aka we just talk about hockey. We don't understand it. I'm your host, Alex Darty, and I'm joined by my co-host Chris Link. Today on the show, we knew it would be tough. I don't think we man maybe maybe we knew it was gonna be this tough. The the Preds are down 0-2 in the, their playoff series with the Carolina Hurricanes. It has not been pretty at times, especially on the power play. They've been outscored 8-2 to two in the first two games. UC Soros has been basically the only reason they've even had a chance, but, you know, what else is new? Uh, Link and I are going to talk about what's happened in this series so far and what lies ahead for the Preds in games three and four. Um, I think the million-dollar question right now is can they avoid the sweep? We will discuss that and much more. Link, how have you enjoyed the playoffs so far? How's it going? You know, coming into our second playoff edition show... I can't help but think about your your lead-in fake episode, fake you know, podcast name as, as per tradition. And, you know, I think about all of the professional radio guys out there covering the Predators, the professional media guys. There's some there's some folks doing incredible work night in and night out. Um, and then you've got some of the other scrappy people. You know, I'm on the scrappier side. You know, you, you write for a legitimate, like, sports site, but, like, still you're a scrappy guy. And it makes me think, like, you know, we're here to, to, to take a little market share away. Uh, you know, they may have more talent. They may have more experience. But you know what? In the immortal words of Chris Mason last night prior to game two, will over skill. We don't need to be good. We just need to want it more. <laughs> and that's how you end up 0-2 in your series against the Carolina Hurricanes. Th- that's how I'm doing. <laughs> this has been, like, the most blatant example of how differently what one type of hockey person can view the game than another type of hockey person like one one type like like you or i are viewing it pretty objectively and are like these particular decisions or these particular players or this way to play is is obviously better and then the other other way the other the other side is like um no, uh, we, we, we just need to want it more. We need to play it the right way, which is just like this vague term they always use. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just so painfully obvious, like which side is actually true. I mean, it's like yeah. the, the results well, in the ice are just so clearly. I, I mean, we're only here today because of really one person and really two things. Um, and you can maybe argue two people, but I'm going to say one person, two things. One is, is, um, it all comes down to David Poyle because what did he say coming out of the trade deadline? Or it might've been right around the trade deadline that he had a gut feeling about this team. He had a gut feeling about this team because you had UC Soros as the hottest goaltender in the entire NHL for multiple months. Yeah. Like it didn't matter how mediocre the skaters were. The goaltender stopped everything. So you had a good, you had a gut feeling based off of one player playing incredibly high 
against a, a, a combination of poor, extremely poor, and then very good teams. Yeah. It, uh, it, it just, it, the last few weeks of the season following the trade deadline, it was just sort of like a fever dream for Poyle, I have to imagine, because he committed the team to something, said he had it was in his heart, his, his guts, and now the team's got to win. At some point, they've got to win three games in a row against the Carolina Hurricanes. At some point, if they want to move on. Yeah, and that, that's that's, just, that's a tall order. That seems impossible when you're down by two already. That is, it's not unprecedented, not at all, but it's a big order. Yeah, we, we you could make comparisons. Like I think someone pointed this out that the uh, the last time the Predators were down two zero in a series was in the Stanley Cup Final in 2017, and that seems pretty impossible too. And like obviously it was insurmountable. They they lost that series, but. You know, they did win the two home games, and then you felt better about it. And that, that was that was not – I mean, look, that Penguins team was was stacked. I mean, like, they were clearly the better talented team, and the Predators were, like – they had massive injuries. All of a sudden, their goaltending was gone. Uh, all they really had was a good defense, and, like, even that was, like, not the best at that point. So, yeah, like, I, you, I see that comparison that's been made before. I feel like this is different because of what you said just a second ago. The reason they got here was because of one person playing uh, above his, not above, but like, you know, at an elite level for two months and then not being able to sustain that. Like he's been, he's been fine in the playoffs. He's been about as good as he could be. Uh, But the the team in front of him has, have mostly been abysmal. Especially on offense. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I mean, game one, there was no one was helping Soros. I mean, the, yeah. the best defensive the, the best defenseman has been like Carrier over you know in a lot of in some of these games like Yosin Ellis struggled obviously Harper and Goodbranson Goodbranson struggled because they're gonna struggle if you deploy them in the NHL that's just they're not mm-hmm. good enough uh it, it is just really um it's hard to find the positives because and I know I'm gonna be, we're gonna be all over this place tonight I know even looking at the game last night, that was such a frustrating game to watch, especially if you were a neutral party, because so much stuff was just called. And mm-hmm. you know, you'd had commentators and people on Twitter being like, oh, they're going to call everything. You hit the ice, they're going to call it. Well, then they would, then there was someone who would get like boarded and they wouldn't call it. Like it was, they would call all the little tiny things, but they wouldn't yeah. call some of the big things. Um, yeah. Like I still, uh, Oh, I even forgot who it was. Um, Matt Benning. When Matt Benning was just like repeatedly punching the dude pinned to the ice beneath him. Jordan Martin. Martin was, that Jordan, yeah. was that Martin Oak? Yeah. yeah um, repeatedly punching him. Just And the guy was trapped beneath Benning, and he's just swinging away. And people are like, yeah, go Benning. It's like, you realize Tom Wilson did the same thing a few weeks ago, and everyone was like going for his head. Yeah. Like it was a little different than he, he, uh, the guy was helmetless, but you're right. I mean, you yeah. still like, I, you know, I'm, I'm generally anti fighting and, and stuff on the ice just cause I, I, and it's one of those things I think will resolve itself since it's already against the rules. Like you can't make it, it's already against the rules, like whatever, let's, but I, let's talk I, they about handed so much to them on with penalties and there's nothing. Absolutely just because nothing. you you mentioned it, and I, I think uh, I think we should talk about it. Let's talk about the defense first, okay? Because uh, in, in yeah, we, you can either break it down by games, but like you can just think about it as just kind of 120 minutes of hockey here. But the 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 defense first. So I think the only two defensemen that you say that I think have played well 
in the first two games. You just mentioned him. Alex Carrier, I think, has been pretty good. I mean, like, for a guy that was toiling around in the in the in the AHL for several years, all of a sudden is like one of your more reliable defenders in the playoffs. And and honestly, probably more because of he's he's bringing an offensive uh, an offensive awareness. I guess he's doing a little bit more offensively than the other the other defensemen are. Um, the and his pairing, you know, when he was paired with Ekholm, it was good. Ekholm, I think, has been probably your best defenseman overall. I think Ekholm's been been very good in terms of his expected goals. He has the highest expected goal rate, or uh, sorry, share, expected goal share of all the defensemen at even strength. Um, Roman Yossi and Ryan Ellis notably have been terrible in that regard. They've been just allowing yeah. all kinds of... Well, kinds you know, and it doesn't help that, that Yossi and Ellis are often deployed with the herd line. The herd line has been ineffective, to say the least. Yeah. Yeah, they um, have not been very good. <laughs> yeah, but like, you know, Carrier is the only predator who's been like positive in terms of Corsi. Yep. In both yep. games. Only player. Mm-hmm. Um and he's he's facing real competition. I mean, he's not getting soft deployments either. I, I'm really yeah. I'm as impressed with Carrier as I am disappointed that no one gave these guys a chance until injuries piled up. <laughs> so and then on the other specter, on the other side of the spectrum, uh, Eric Goodbranson, you you mentioned. I, I just like look when 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 we talked about that acquisition, if you want to call it that. Um, yeah, I mean, I he believe, was acquired. He was acquired. I, I believe we basically said this guy will play. I mean, I know what I said. What I said was this guy will probably play some games in the regular season down the stretch as some sort of depth defenseman on the bottom pairing. You know, and I think that's kind of how he was used. He didn't play every game since he was requir- acquired. I definitely did not think he would be a starter in both games of the first two playoff games. I yeah, just, I do not understand this decision. Well, I, I understand the terms that Heinz likes to have defined roles. We talked about this with the herd line. You know, he finds something that he likes and he's going to deploy it. And it really, I think it takes a lot to force him to shift away. Because what did he want in, he, he was going into game one saying, we're going to put bodies on him, we're going to grind it out, we're going to make him pay for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, for the first period, that's what we saw. We saw the Predators going after Carolina, being physical, not giving them space. But the problem with that approach is that you don't really spend a lot of time with the puck. And that yeah. showed. Like, they kind of, I, I think they came out more aggressive and they caught Carolina off guard. And they caught uh, Nedeljkovic a little off guard, and they got some goals, and they scared the Carolina. And then Rod Robert Moore did some coaching, and then Carolina's like, "Oh, maybe we should play our game, and we can mm-hmm. just skate past these defensemen. That's not a problem." Like, how many yeah. times did you just see Harper or Grip Branson just get skate like Aho just several, blow past or several times, several times? Like they're like, "Oh, we don't. If we just skate past them, they can't hit us." Mm. And you know, it was a very obvious thing. You're going to put a bunch of giant hulking defensemen who can barely skate, who aren't very good positionally, against a, a quick elite offensive team who can roll two highly threatening scoring lines and has good solid de- depth scoring. It's like, yeah, how how do you look at the metrics and arrive at that lineup? Because we know that NHL coaches have access to far deeper stats than we do. Stuff that we would only dream being able to see, they have. Maybe there's something in there that says Ben Harper is actually, you know, a, a really solid third-pairing defenseman. Nothing that's publicly available suggests that. Watching him on the ice doesn't suggest that. 
I almost wonder if like they they remember um, so the Dallas series not, not obviously there was the the Arizona series qualifying round series but then the Dallas series they lost in six. The the biggest takeaway from that was uh, how out physical they were. They were just like dominated. And it's what's so silly is like the, the what this what this team has shown a history of doing is that they take the thing that beat them last time and just like find a solution for that as opposed to preparing for what's to come and like changing changing the target and hit hitting a different target knowing that the league changes year to year you cannot prepare for a series against the carolina hurricanes the same way that you prepare for a series against the dallas stars they're so different they're such different teams um i mean dallas is like just big up and down the lineup and they they have they have some speed but like they don't have anything like what carolina has so it's almost like they went and got uh ben harper and they went and got good Branson. They went and got Borbietsky, who obviously isn't playing in the series, as as ways to say, okay, well, we got beat by Dallas last time by getting outbodied. We're going to get bigger this time. And it's like you're not preparing for like what well, you're it, what you might face next time. But it's also it also ignores the the most important part of the lesson, which is, yeah, they had big bodies that could push you around. They also had Tyler Sagan, Jamie Ben, Alexander Radulov. John Klingberg, like they, <laughs> Miro Heiskanen. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like they they had what eighty points, seventy two points, fifty fifty three points. Like it was ignoring the fact that they had elite talents that the Predators simply could not match. They couldn't score goals, and that's the same problem they have now. They just don't have talent to score goals because Arvidsson has completely disappeared under Heinz. Um, not that he was, he was lighting things up under the, at the end of the, the lobby let, uh, period, but he's mm-hmm. completely disappeared. Forsberg can't do it on his own. You know, Johansson tr- tries his best, but like he's missing something. Duchesne's been buried time after time and, and just sees ice time reduction. So he doesn't, he's kind of been, been pushed out. Like you know, what what's the answer? Like Tolvanen is doesn't. When did he even? How much power play time did he even get last night? He um, got. I can look it up for you. Um, he got. He got. I know. I know that he only had one unblocked. Or, or, he had one shot attempt, and it was blocked. I know that that's all he got. Actually, he led the team in power play time on ice. I think. Huh. Yeah, and he still only got one, one shot attempt off. Yeah, I mean, like look. I talked about I've talked about this a lot this week. I feel, but Tolvanen, uh, seven twenty one. Yeah, he played seven minutes and twenty one seconds on the power play yesterday. Um, uh, Tolvanen was not the problem with the power play on Monday, and then on on Wednesday the the problem was compounded by the same thing that happened on Monday, and that was like they could not the creators couldn't create the people who are responsible for setting up Tolvanen. Who is, by the way, not a creator? Who is he? Is a catch and shoot guy. He's a shooter. That's what he does. That's what he, that's where he excels on the power play. Obviously, he can't do that if the puck's not even there. I mean, he got he got one shot that got blocked. So it's like that. The rest of the players were just like they they could not enter yeah. the zone. They couldn't get but, uh, like, they couldn't get passes off. They couldn't get clean entries. It was just terrible. The I Carolina mean, penalty kill is very good. They're third best in the league. But yeah. it's like that was a, they played was- right into it. You're neutral. That was a joy to watch watching the penalty kill work and and basically <laughs> abuse a really poor power play. But it, 
is all goes back to that joke I cracked early on, which is, you know, prior to game two, they were doing the keys of the game. And I think it was Mason, Chris Mason, who was running the show there. And one of the keys was will over skill. I, I, I mean, how dumb do you think the fans of the National Predators are that you can pull that garbage out, will over skill. You really think that the Carolina Hurricanes players can't match your willpower? <laughs> like, you really think that Rob Brindamore can't get that team hyped up? I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's just, it's, it's so strange. And it's also this, this open acknowledgement that everybody knows the Predators are clearly not good enough mm -hmm. to skate in these playoffs. They may be, they might be the weakest team, one of the weakest teams in the playoffs. Trying to think um, who I might place behind the Predators. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Montreal with their collapse, but they're tied with Toronto right now. I don't um, know. It's, it's not, it's, Hard to I, find a team that's this. Yeah, I'm looking at the four seeds. I mean, I I don't. I mean, the Blues have their issues, but no, Montreal maybe, maybe Montreal. But I, I it's too early to to say. And I think Montreal's probably a little bit better. Okay. I, I I think the Pro is the weakest team in the playoffs. I really yeah. do, and it shows. Uh, it, it really shows. Um, so. Uh, let's talk real quick about Matt Duchesne because um, there's, there's been a lot of, a lot of discussion about that. And I, I wonder if, well, okay. So I, I wonder if we're going to see something totally different on Friday. I mean, I think we, I think they should. Um, I mean, if I were, if I were John Hines, I, I would have done a lot of things different in the first two games. If I were John Hines, I would put Matt Duchesne. I would, I would probably actually take Victor Arvidsson out of the lineup. And I would put Matt Duchesne on that top line with Ryan Johansson and Philip Forsberg and just see if that unit can be a threat, any an, any kind of threat. Yeah, and then why not? You take Arvidsson out, put Rocco Grimaldi in, who has who who's probably one of the faster players on the team at this point. Put him on the third line with Eric Halla and see if that can do something. I mean, just maybe that's a, a, a wash line where you just kind of cancel out the other line. You need a threat. You have you need some offensive threat. They were they could not do anything offensively in game 2. Game 1, they like you said, they got to them early and then and then Carolina responded and and ever since then it's been the Carolina show. I mean like that's been that's been that's been what we've been watching. The last four yeah. periods of hockey have been essentially dominated by the Carolina Hurricanes. Um <laughs> in addition to um the befuddlement of the Nashville power play. So yeah. it's been I, 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 if if Heinz isn't seeing that this is the point to say, let's just let our supposedly most skilled players play together and give that <laughs> a shot. You know, I don't I don't really know what else to to suggest to him. He just seems like he's got his approach and he's gonna follow through on it, and doesn't really matter what the outcome is. I mean, he he's continuing his illustrious postseason career. Yeah. Uh, yeah. not that, not that he's really been, in, he's in a position to succeed. Um, you know, we pegged this roster early on as being what I think I said, something like 55% chance of making the playoffs is where I have them because the roster just wasn't really that great. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then they underperformed, then they overperformed, so they still fell in the same range ultimately. Uh, and you know, we kind of said they're going to get bounced in the first, you know, likely to get bounced in the first round is is kind of the most likely outcome. So everything's sort of falling as nature intended, and. It's, I, I think the thing that gets me most is that we have to sort of sit here and have Heinz say, well, I think we played a lot better in in game two. I'm like, yeah, they gave you 10, like they gave you seven power plays. And frankly, Carolina didn't play that great in game two compared to game one. They were having an off day and you still were losing both on the score sheet and in the advanced stats. Because mm-hmm. the Predators, if things went exactly as the stats suggested, Predators still would have lost. They just wouldn't have had a shutout. Yeah. Or Carolina wouldn't have had a shutout. So. So uh, th- that that response by John Hines was was pretty uh, astonishing. I, I have to be honest. I mean, I, I was like, my mouth was just open listening to that. I couldn't, I really couldn't believe what I was hearing because I was like, that that is a response. If you don't know what we're talking about, um, I, I tweeted out the video of it and you can watch it there. But basically John Hines to a couple of questions Joe Rex Road and Steve Lehman was like, basically, did we watch the same game? I thought we played really well. <laughs> um, we we did a lot of really good things. I, we played the right way. All these things. And it's like, dude, this is the playoffs. That response that he gave is what you give in November. That's what you give at a meaningless mid, midweek game in January or some or October or January, November. And that's what you give then. And when you lose a meaningless, not a meaningless game, but like a, a low, low quality game and you lose, but you played well, whatever you move on. That's the kind of response you get there. And the playoffs fans do not want to hear that kind of thing. They, 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 that pisses people off. It just does. And that was, the, that's the wrong response. The players were much more, we were, we were bad. We didn't play well enough. And the, the coach giving that kind of response, look, maybe he's going for this, like, you know, rally behind my team approach and as opposed to as opposed to tearing them down. I don't know. That seems to be probably more what he's doing. But golly, that was that was painful to listen to. And like people's responses to it were like, this guy is clueless. Yeah, people can't seem to make up their minds whether Heinz is good or bad. Um, and, I, you know, the reality is UC Soros was the best goaltender in the NHL for like two months. So. What, what do you what do you want from Hines? Like he's not the goaltender coach. He's not the goalie coach. What is he, he's not out there like he didn't mm-hmm. coach Yosi Yosi Cheese. He didn't coach Soros into being an elite goaltender for two yeah. months. Um, bad goaltending gets coaches fired. Good goaltending can keep bad coaches in place. Right? Yeah, I, I, I'm still like there's tons of apologists and and since the Predators made the playoffs, a lot of people are like, ah, you were all wrong about Hines, and it's like, really, yeah, I, like. That was that was very. Have you seen people. the offense of this team and like yeah. guys who who have you know players had had astronomical shooting percentages, things that weren't sustainable. Like the power play never looked any good, and you know, okay, fine, blame the power play coach. Well, guess what? He reports to the head coach. Yeah, you know, there's a guy in charge of all of this. Let's actually <laughs> hold him accountable. Someone is actually in charge of this. You know, the power play thing, um, it's so weird to think about how, how long it's been a, an issue. Um, I was thinking today about how in – do you remember the 2016 playoffs? 
uh, with the Ducks. Said they beat. They've won game game seven in Anaheim over the Ducks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they then the next series was the Shark series, uh, but they lost in game seven. Um, that long Shark series because the Predators lose to the Sharks. Yeah, because they because they always do. Um, so if you remember, I, I went back and looked. So they went. The, the one of the narratives in that that team was also bad special teams. Their power play, their power play went three for thirty in that series, or in in that playoffs. So like you know 10 percent, and everyone was just like this is the worst power play yeah. we've ever seen it, it, fix it yeah and now now people are like man three goals that would be great if they could get three power play goals well um, when you're when your power play is slow predictable you don't deploy shooters as shooters like you know, no, we're going to have Victor Arvidsson play in front of the net because he's tough and gritty. I'm like, his best thing is shooting from the circle. Like, that's where he excels. Why would you not have him there? You know, I don't think, I don't, I, my hot take is that Victor Arvidsson is not a power play player. I think he's not, he should not be anywhere near that power play. I, well, not back in, you know, back a few years ago when he was shooting, the, when he was, looked like yeah. he was going to be a perpetual 30 goal scorer by taking tons and tons and tons of shots. Yeah, right. You know, it's a different story. Now it's like, you know, I don't know what you do with them necessarily. Um, but he, but he, his, his, yeah, exactly. You're exactly right. He, he got, he got to 30 goals by taking a ton of shots. Volume is his game. He shoots from everywhere, but he also shoots like in transition and pressing and forecheck and stuff. And the power play, you can't really do that. It's a, it's a skill finesse thing. I mean, you have to be so precise and he's like the opposite of precise. Yeah, he wants to chaotic. shoot off of the rush. He doesn't seem to know how to shoot a wrist shot off yeah. of a cross ice pass. Granted, if you can get a cross ice pass to him. Um, yeah, that's step one. Yeah, I and mean, he, I honestly think like he should, he would be a fine penalty killer. Like he's the kind of guy you want on the penalty kill. Mm-hmm. He did that at one point. He'd be fine on the penalty kill. He'd be be like super aggressive, and but instead they want to, you know, the the penalty kill has been another issue. They hasn't really reared its head in this series yet. They've given up what one or two maybe, but like they've they've looked okay, and that hasn't been a major problem. Um, mostly because of Soros, but. Um, the, the power play, yeah, it, it's it. You have you have to think. You, there's no other opinion to have other than it is the players at this point. It is the you the players you have out on the ice. Everything has changed about the 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 coaching and the development of the of the power play strategy and all that stuff. That's all gone through multiple changes, multiple head coaches. No more can that be an excuse. It is only about the players, and because of that, like the the answer to that problem is to replace those players um <laughs> it it being predictable is, is what you just said is the biggest problem well one way to not be predictable is to get the people who are making the the, the moves out there to you know play on other teams and get new <laughs> players out there yeah that's uh unfortunately there's two problems one that's expensive and two david poyle will always seem to acquire the wrong guy <laughs> uh He's gonna go sign Wayne Simmons in the offseason. That's what he's gonna do. I, you know, I just, I just wonder if the Predators, and I think I, I don't know that they have the same analytics capabilities in terms of, like people on staff that some other teams do, but I just don't know that they're keeping up with the NHL in terms of the the office decisions. You know, the front office decisions and the management of like scouting and things like that. And uh-huh. I say this because this is like the same nightmare I'm dealing with on like my soccer side of things with Tottenham where like oh. this is a team that doesn't really have a strong scouting network. They don't have a director of football. Everyone acknowledges the guy who's running the entire show. Like he's a good businessman, but he has no idea how to actually find the right players. Mm-hmm. Like 
you know, it, and I, I kind of wonder if it's a little bit similar on the Predator side. You know, they looked at Matthew Shane and said, we're going to have him on our team someday. And they seem to ignore the line mates that he played with for his career and yeah. how good his line mates have been. And then they give him, you know, that. granted, they don't they don't play him with Philip Forsberg, of course. They they, <laughs> they play him with the the second line players and the second line players and the Predators are a big step down from like some of the second liners he would have had to play with in uh, like Colorado. Yeah, dude, I, I'm so glad you brought that up because I want to talk about that for a second. I went and looked at this because I was trying to remember exactly who it was. I was pretty sure, but I couldn't remember. So Matt Duchesne's like peak early 20s. So when Matt Duchesne was like 23 years old, he was playing with Jerome McGinley, uh, Hall of Fame goal, uh, yeah, player, yeah. Uh, goal scorer, Ryan O'Reilly, uh, a, another top six center who eventually won a Stanley Cup with the St. Louis Blues. He was playing with Gabriel Landeskog. He was playing with a young Matt uh, Nathan McKinnon. And and remember, Nathan McKinnon went through a growth spur. I mean, his first two years weren't awesome, but they were still good. I mean, he's still really good. And he was playing with th- those kind of players. Um, and, and by the way, he was 23 years old. So he was like entering the prime of his career. And lo and behold, he had like, 30 goal seasons, 40 assist seasons, like a couple 60 and 70 point seasons. And so that, all right. So then he goes to, um, he gets traded to Ottawa and I didn't look too much of his line mates there because Ottawa is a pretty kind of a black hole in terms of talent, but uh, he was decent. I mean, like he had, he had like one good season, even though the, the first, when he initially got there, it was pretty bad. And then in Columbus, he plays with like Panarin and stuff. So he gets to Nashville, the first 20 games, He's playing with Philip Forsberg. He's playing with Victor Arvidsson, and he's playing with Mikhail Granlund. And he's like, I mean, he's got he had 17 points in his first 20 games, po- almost a point per game player. Dream, right? I mean, like that's what you want. He's an eight million dollar player. He's got to be something like that. And then inexplicably, he gets like shoved down the lineup. It doesn't make any sense why this happened. Just all of a sudden, Ryan Johansson takes his spot on the top line. And Duchesne just slides down. He's now the second line wing. He's playing left wing again. He's going down to the third line to play a center there. And then he's the third line. We even getting getting fourth line minutes at times as opposed to you know third line or second line minutes. Yeah. It has been so bizarre to watch. And like I just look at this, and I'm curious your take on this. Like, do you see this? I mean, this this screams the Kyle tourist trajectory to me. We're yeah, like, I, I, so I want to, I'll just to round out. So I looked real quick. These are some of the guys that were on the senators when Matthew Shane had his 58 point season. So his last big season, Mark stone. Oh, Brady yeah, Kachuk, <laughs> Mark stone. Um, Ryan Zingle, Bobby Ryan, like <laughs> Mark stone's you know, enough. I mean, like, he, yeah. He, and he, like Bobby Ryan yeah. was at the, you know, at the tail end. I mean, he was 31. So he was kind of in his redemption period. Yeah, but still, fifteen goals. I mean, we're looking at twenty-eight goals, twenty-seven goals, twenty-two, twenty-two, fifteen. I mean, these guys, you know, not breaking thirty anywhere here, but like scoring points by committee, no problem. I mean, it's not like there wasn't some talent around him. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I wanted to look that up. So, yeah, he was. I forgot that Mark Stone was there when he was there. That's, yeah. Yeah. That that that's enough to me. It's like uh, that guy played or uh, Matthew Shane played here i'm gonna pull it up right now i want to pull up matt duchene's teammates ottawa uh regular season here we go i got it pulling up right here um yeah because like the, i mean do you think that it's fair to say that it's like the culturist trajectory do you think that's fair uh i mean i think duchene more upside because he was younger 
Yeah, not, not the players um, themselves, but like the the path where you know, Duche, uh Kyle Turris was acquired to be a second line center. Yeah, I mean, and I, then I think Matt, Matt Duchesne, I think you could if you traded him to a team was like, oh, we need we need a you know someone to center our young guns or or some guy who can score thirty goals. I mean, I think he you'd see a lot more success. Okay, so um, uh, real quick, he uh, Duchesne played most of his minutes with Ryan Zingle and Bobby Ryan. Second most with Mike Hoffman and Mark Stone. So he he was basically but he was he played 425 minutes with Mark Stone, and now he's playing 425 minutes with Eric Halla. Yeah, playoff playoff hero Eric Halla. <laughs> hated hated former Carolina Hurricane Eric Halla. Yeah, um, like that has been maybe the most interesting thing about these playoffs is everyone trying to figure out. <laughs> why Carolina fans hate Eric Halla. And the only thing I've seen, and I've seen it multiple times now, is that he was bad, quote unquote, bad in the locker room. That's exactly what I've, I've yeah. But, this but is, no one can elaborate. It might be my favorite thing about this series so far. But because no, one, no one can so, elaborate. They just say, oh, he was bad in the locker, but no one says anything else. And the dude I was scored, sending, like. I was, in, I was intentionally sending out a lot of uh, taggable, like, tweets trying to get Carolina fans to, like, get in my mentions to ch- explain this. I was like, for whatever reason, Canes fans are booing Eric Hall. I mean, I was trying to get people to, and I couldn't really get a lot, but I did get a couple people who said what you said. It was like that he was a locker room cancer, that he was, uh, that, that he, he, there was one person that said that he came in with an attitude of being a Hall of Famer or something, and that like that rubbed everyone the wrong way, and people nicknamed him the Hall of Famer or something like that, which is so, so bizarre. And like, first of all, I mean, look, I, I, he pro- if, if he ever considered himself a Hall of Famer, like obviously he's wrong, but he might have just been doing it like a self-deprecating way. I mean, I, I, I doubt anyone like at Eric Hall's level is like, yeah, I'm going to make the Hall of Fame one day. Like he obviously knows where he fits into the, you know, he's, he's a good player, but he's not a Hall of Famer. So it's like, I think there's that. And there's also like this issue of, uh, the, the other thing that's happening here with, with Hurricanes fans, I think, is they are they are absolutely in love with their coach with Rod Brindamore for obvious reasons. I mean, he's a former player. He won a cup there. He he's a he's they love him. So like if 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 a player hates that guy, fans immediately hate him. So it's like it, that, that's all it took. I think that's kind of what's happened. Is like he immediately got on the bad side of their favorite coach ever, and that's all it takes. Kick him out. We hate him now. And so I I I think that's what's happening. It's just really strange. It was very. Very odd because there wasn't some obvious. Normally, you see that kind of thing, and it's like, oh, there must have been some hit or a fight that he got in, or maybe he said something in the media bashing Kane's fans. But no, it was just like he, they didn't like him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's so strange because I've been trying to look into this, and I see things like, yeah, Holly didn't get along with Rod Brindamore, and they had a riff, but everything seemed <laughs> to be fine. And then, like, you see things like, you know, it's possible Rod may be wanting more of Hollow. And Hollow was like scoring above his career averages. So he was outperforming exactly. his numbers. That's exactly what I say. <laughs> was he not back checking enough? Like, I don't, I don't really. It's the most confusing thing because apparently it's all rumors and hearsay. Yeah. And no one seems to know anything. And Carolina's never said anything about it. But like the Carolina fans just hate this dude's guts. And it's yeah. like. All all national fans have talked about all season is like, yeah, we don't need him on the team. He's kind of until he for some reason he decided to start like scoring goals late in the year. It um, might be my it might be my my most favorite part about this oh, series. I think it's amazing. No one it's like of all the players, it's like Eric Halla who does nothing. And, <laughs> and maybe he's loving like, it. 
You, yeah. He's like, he's McCoy. He's like, yeah, I think it's great. It's like, I mean, it is so silly. How do you not love it a little bit? So, uh, just real, real quick, about, back to Matthew Shane. So, uh, the, no, it's the Eric Hollis show now. <laughs> the the Matthew Shane thing, I, it, it really is. It's it's strange to watch happen. And um, I mean, for the sake of of just not being a complete blender of a of a signing, which it's slowly turning out to be, they've got to they've got to just give him more minutes. I mean, they they have to play him where where you would play an eight million dollar player. And, you know, I, I don't know that Johansson – so I think part of what they want – they don't want to put the both of the centers on the same line for some reason, but I, I think that you've got, you've got to try it. You've got to go like, for it. What are you going to do, lose another game? Yeah, like, oh, we don't want to do that. Why, why not? Do you think? I mean, it was actually a decent line in the time they were together against yeah. – and they played against the Hurricanes, so. Yeah, exactly. And, and – um that's my same point for uh, why on Friday tomorrow in game three, there's, there's no reason why, why just why not start Jeremy Davies and David Ferentz on the bottom pairing? Why not? Or, I mean, or, or just, they can't know. be worse than Gr- Branson and Harper. They're probably going to be better. Oh, I mean, I, you can just, you can play Fabro down there. You can or, play, okay, yeah. Fabro and Ferentz or Fabro yeah. and Davies. Yeah, two two totally new players down the bottom. I mean, Benning, Benning was okay. I don't think there was anything wrong with Benning, but no, I, I think I mean I'm pretty high on Benning. Um, but you know that. Yeah, Gabranson's got to be out of the lineup. There's no doubt. Yeah, Gabranson is like. There's no reason to play weaker. Play. Like I just don't understand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What are you gonna do? Lose? I mean, you're gonna lose. You're gonna go down three nothing instead of two nothing. Okay. I mean, like the, the, then you're then you're basically just you know you're done. So I. <laughs> There, there's, there's all kinds of uh, changes you can make yeah. to the lineup. The, I think, I think if you know if Hines were on this uh, a podcast, uh, <laughs> I didn't ask him to be, but if he was, I think he would say again. We would probably reiterate game two that they were better at five on five, which in some ways they were, and in some ways they weren't. They didn't generate much five on five offense. Um, th- that. I think he would say that they were better. So why make changes? Well, because you didn't finish. I mean, you didn't finish the result. The result was bad. That's what matters. So what were their expected goals at five on five? I'm going to look that up real quick. All right. Even, even strength expected goals for the predators. 1.5. That's not good enough. That's not, that's not, that's not going to win you games. Hey, it'll win you games. If your goaltender gets a shout out every night. Yeah. If if your goaltender gets a shout out every night. Right. Exactly. You get a goal, a fluky goal from Eric Halla, and you get a 45-save shutout from UC Soros, and you think, wow, our team's great. There's a huge risk in the whole ride-the-hot goaltender thing and saying, you know, they can steal games for us, is that that's exhausting for the goaltender. Their performance is going to dip, especially in the playoffs when you don't really play your backup, ever. Yeah. You know, if this is a regular season and you play a bunch of seven game series. If, you know, let's say the Predators win a seven game series, they go, then they, they go play Tampa. I mean, that's just another bunch of games that your goaltender just playing right in a row. Like there's yeah. no rest. So the more you rely on exclusive, the goaltender, the more likely the goaltender is just to collapse because they're going to lose focus. They're going to lose um, that edge because mm-hmm. they're fatigued. Especially a guy who relies on reading the play like Soros. He needs to be sharp. I mean, we saw what happened with Carter Hart. Carter Hart's another goaltender who was really 
a mental goaltender. He has to read the game. And if he loses that focus, he's yeah. going to get destroyed. Mm-hmm. Now, Saros is a bit more gifted physically, but he still has to play a very strong mental game. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel confident. Um, I mean, I, I've obviously liked what I've seen out of Soros so far. And I feel I feel pretty confident that if the Predators were to, let's say that they, let's say in game three, which I actually think they have a pretty good chance to win game three. I, I don't think they're going to get swept. I, I, I don't, I don't know what you, where uh, you this, are. They, in that. they have to win game three. Yeah, I I, th- I think they will, and I I think there's actually a pretty solid chance that they'll they'll come out um, and score a couple goals, maybe one or two goals in the first period, and really put it to Carolina. I and I also feel pretty confident that UC Soros can maintain his level of play and and help them win. And like in other words, it won't be a case where finally the offense comes to life and then UC Soros craps the bed or something. Like I think I don't think that's going to happen. I think I think he'll be he'll be yeah. consistently there we should we should have named this episode uh link and alex get mad for 45 minutes <laughs> i feel like I, I i feel like i'm i'm just kind of I, i'm baffled at at kind of what i i'm still kind of reacting to what i heard from john hines actually is is what i'm doing and and i'm also just like the uh, I, f- I feel like i'm kind of defending my own positions from earlier in the season where um i i was I basically said that I, I think this team is better than than they're they're playing, and then finally UC Soros got hot, and it, there was a little bit of a disguise, as you've pointed out, and I did not think that they were acquiring Eric Branson to play him in the playoffs. I just think I think that was that was really I, I did not see that coming. But that was a very David Poyle thing to do. Yeah, very, yeah. Going out and acquiring a a a player who Senators fans. Started messaging Predators fans saying, "Yeah, man, I sure hope you don't have to play this guy on an actual yeah. team." Yeah, like that's how bad it was. Senators fans said, "Like this is the wor- one of the worst players on our team, on like mm. one of the worst teams in the entire league." Yeah, oh. I just I'm always here's 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 the other part for me. Um, I'm very wary of. The, the the only looking at the stat sheet, and I'm talking about the advanced stat sheet, all the charts, all the player cards, all the mm-hmm. expected goals and the goals above replacement, all that stuff. I'm very wary of only looking at that to evaluate a, how a player fits in your lineup. I think is a mistake. I think you have to see what they have first. Well, after they got him in town, they saw what he did on the ice. It's like, okay, this guy's now obviously not going to play in the playoffs. Whatever, he was, a, yeah. he was fine to have around good veteran to have in the locker room. But um, I, I still think that I'm right there. I think that I think it's okay to, to trust that, that beyond the stats, that there is something else a player brings to the locker room. There's something else that a player brings to, to the, to the, to the actual ice, you know, to the ice just by, by being there, like their, their, their physical presence in some way does make an impact. You know, they're the way they carry themselves, the size that they have on the ice, the, their reach with their stick, all that stuff makes a difference um it's just like obviously when the two things come together and he's bad on the ice when you watch him and then also bad on the stat sheet it's like well you've got to make a move you got to you can't keep playing that guy so um all right what what else do do you think do you think that they can avoid the sweep uh yeah i think they can avoid the sweep i mean they have beat the hurricanes a couple times uh, so yeah, they absolutely have the potential to win a game. Um, I, I don't, I, I think I may have felt better about 
sticking to five a five game series in favor of the Hurricanes now that I've seen how the Predators are playing. But you know, I I still think, yeah, I mean, Carolina and six still feels like the most realistic outcome. Yeah. Uh, I, for, for, in order for my Preds and six to come through, they got to win four straight. That's uh, it's not looking good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just, the, 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 no matter what, they have to win three in a row. Yeah. Um, and when you're the when you're the uh, the lower seed team, it means you have to win one on on the road, which is already more difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the big advantage, you know, is the Predators are going to have one of the largest postseason crowds allowable. Yeah. Like it's, I don't know what the, are they up to twelve thousand. 12,135. That's the number. That, oh, that's precise. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. So they're going to have over 12,000, which I think is going to be one of the biggest crowds in the postseason. So hey, 135, 135 fans bigger than Carolina. There you go. So by, maybe that'll give the, them a boost by the number. So like, I, I think it's pretty clear that the Carolina had more than that on their game. And that was, that was more than 12,000 people, I think, but eh, who knows? It's hard to tell um, in arenas sometimes. I, I, just just to shift a, a final on our final note on a final positive note i i am pretty excited to be able to go to the arena and and watch that tomorrow like i i think i'm probably more excited you know even watching it just from the the media perspective um to finally see that again like it's been i feel like it's been forever um i mean it's been two years and I, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, it's, it's, I think it'll be different. I think even 12,000 fans that are, that kind of maybe realize what they had before and took advantage and like took it for granted will be more available and more, more present in the game. You know, there was a, there was a kind of a, a, a feeling in the, in that building in that Dallas star series. And even in the Winnipeg series the year before that, where it was like, kind of like, you know, we belong here, you know, we're just waiting to get amped up for the Western Conference final again. And it's like, I think they were missing an edge. And I'm kind of, I'm anxious to see what this, uh, what this crowd looks like on, on Friday. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. They're probably going to be fanatical in the stands and just super excited and just trying to blow the roof off, which is great. You know, I really hope it gives the team the boost they need to, to get their heads back in it. But it goes back is can, can they find a way to shut down Carolina? Can they figure that out? Certainly not with some of the lineup decisions. Uh, they're just putting weakness against strength, which is not a great approach to winning hockey games, is taking slow, poor position players against fast, creative players. Like that's You're better off having a less experienced defenseman who is better positioning, reads the game better than Ben Harper. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Well, we will see how it goes. So the, the the game schedule at this point, Friday, May 21st, game three at 6 p.m. So a 6 p.m. start in Nashville. And then the Sunday game, game four, is a 1.30 start. So I've, I, we had a feeling there would be an afternoon start, and it is 1.30 is the start for that one. Um, so there's your two games. And as of now, that's all that's on the schedule. The Predators have to win one of those in order to force at least a game five and uh, move on from there. So, um, all right. So that's going to do it for us. Uh, you can check out all of our hockey coverage at a to z sportsnational.com. Please follow me on Twitter at Alex 31, follow the link on Twitter at 3d link. Do you have, excuse me, do you have any final thoughts for us today? So here, here's my big question for you. Um, wh- where will Tottenham sell Harry Kane during this off season? Since he's now officially said he's, he's considering moving on from, from Tottenham, where are they going to sell him? 
What, what's what's his price tag? Somewhere between it's it's somewhere probably around 150 million pounds. I did not think it was that high. Wow, that's great. Well, he is he is one of the top like five yeah. strikers in the world, top three strikers in the world. So I I don't I, I he's don't even know. Twenty seven years old. Right. I I don't even have a guess. You you tell. What, give me I, three teams. Well, I mean, if it's Premier League, um, it, really the only options are City, Chelsea, and United. Oh wait, you think he's going to be sold to a Premier League team? He, he would prefer to stay in in England. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and then because because Barcelona and Real don't have any money right now because of how uh, how much of a mess they are. Yeah. And, and PSG may be the another option. Um, what about, what about a, a German league team? I don't know if Harry Kane would do well in Germany. <laughs> Plus, I mean, okay. unless unless like Dortmund or Bayern are buying, which they're not. They're not okay. looking for Harry Kane. You're not I'm gonna, gonna see go it with. He's, he's gonna go to FC Nantes in the, <laughs> in the French French League One. Yeah, he's only gonna go somewhere where they're basically gonna like hand them trophies without any yeah. effort. City's the a great, great the destination. That, that is because that's my uh, when I when I I created a player a long time ago in FIFA and I played for like 20 years in FC Nantes and I made them into a juggernaut. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's the dream, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, it's so. We'll see what happens there, but you know what? He's gonna go to he's gonna go to United. He's gonna go to Manchester United. Really? Interesting. That's my prediction. All right, that's gonna do it for us. See you guys. I think you know. I think we'll play it by ear. I think we'll probably record at least one more episode. I mean, it might be the final episode because you know if there's if they're done with the playoff series, but it'll, it'll probably be next week sometime. So stay tuned to all the channels to find that out, and uh, we'll see you then.